You're listening to Jesus is Everything, the teaching ministry of The Way, Eugene. All right, so we finished up where Jesus has healed this boy. The father um, came to the disciples and asked them to heal. Jesus wasn't with them. He was up on the mountain where Peter, James, and John had the opportunity to see Jesus in his glorified state, meaning what he's going to look like in eternity. And with him were Moses and Elijah representing the Old Testament law and all of the prophecies that pointed toward Jesus with Jesus in the center of them just being the fulfillment of everything that God had intended. And one of the things we have to remember when we read through the scripture tonight, and a lot of these things, for a lot of us who've, who've grown up in church or had Bible stories since we were kids, those kinds of things, sometimes we take for granted some of the information that that perhaps we don't even realize is important to, to understand. One of the things we have to understand about Jesus is that he was Jewish, right? So he grew up with things like the Old, what we would consider the Old Testament, those scriptures, the law, the first five books of the Old Testament called the Pentateuch, five, the first five, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. He would have, as a young Jewish boy, learned the intricacies of the law, right? Like that's what all young Jewish boys did. He would have heard the prophets being read when they would go to synagogue talking about the one to come, the Messiah, right? Mashiach Adonai, right? Uh, And he would hear the Psalms read and the Proverbs, all of these things. (coughs) Pardon me. So Jesus would be intimately familiar with what the traditions and laws and practices of all the Jews would have been. That's important to understand as we get into what we're going to read tonight. Because Jesus' response is always not just fulfilling what the law required, as God said, hey, here's this law. If you want to be holy, if you want to be in relationship with me, here's the law. This is what is required to be holy. Jesus not only fulfills that, but he shows a new way. That's the important part we have to think about when we think about Jesus, is that whenever we encounter Jesus, Jesus is going to open up to us a new way, a different way of thinking and living than we would on our own. Left to our own natural devices, meaning our own thoughts, our own feelings, all those kinds of things, if we get confronted with a situation of some kind, there's some sort of uh, conflict or whatever, we're going to have our own concept of how to deal with that. And typically, it's going to be wrong. Like, that's where we have to start with and just go, yeah, the way that I deal with things typically, like if left to my own decisions and devices, I'm probably going to make a mistake. And and what Jesus does (coughs) is he takes everything that we would do and he turns it around and goes, here's the better way. This is the way to do it. This is how even I intended it to be done because Jesus is God and was present at creation. He wasn't in the physical form of Jesus yet, but he was still eternally the son of God, being one with the father. So good for us to understand that, that Jesus has this knowledge of the Old Testament. He had his understanding of the law so that every time there's a conflict of thought, like like how are we supposed to deal with this issue? Jesus has an answer for it that's going to be a different way than we would typically. So we've come from Jesus healing that boy and his disciples not having been able to cast out the demon from that boy, sort of frustrated and like questioning like, oh my gosh, like 
Jesus, how come we weren't able to do the thing like you do? How come we weren't able to cast out this demon? And Jesus says, because this is the kind that requires fasting and prayer. And those are those two tools that Jesus leaves us that I honestly, at this stage of my life, I'm not sure there's anything more on a personal level that we can do that will influence both our own hearts, like this we're saying, we want our heart to be turned from the Lord, or to the Lord, pardon me. Prayer, meaning just conversing with God, bringing our requests, quietly listening to him, right? That's a part of prayer as well, waiting for an answer, being patient. And then fasting, because fasting is that example of sacrifice that Jesus showed us. And Jesus, as he fasted, and recognized his weakness in the human flesh, right? Our bodies are weak by themselves. And if you fast, you give up something, you become weaker. What that puts you in a position to do is to rely upon God. When you fast and you're weak and you just, I, I don't know how I can make it through this day, Lord, right? God's the one who fills in the gaps and goes, I'll take care of it. I'm going to be the one that's going to carry you through. So Jesus gives these two tools, prayer and fasting. And, and I find those to be important. I'll be really, really honest. Like prayer... It's not that prayer is hard for me, but I go through seasons of my life where prayer becomes a challenge because I have a hard time being quiet. And we live in a world right now, especially right now, where it is noisy. Not just noisy because we live in an urban environment or there's cars driving by or whatnot. We live in a noisy world with all of the information that is available to us and how connected we are. Yes, this is like old man telling the kids to put their cell phones away at school. That's just what this is. But if you look back 100 years ago, there was on a practical level far less ability to be distracted by stuff. Now, left to your own devices, again, in your own head, you can be distracted. You could go on a spiritual retreat to some beautiful place and you could be far away and their purpose is to go seek the Lord and you're sitting quietly by a lake and Lord, I want to spend time with you. Is that a duck? Oh, you know, or like, boy, I wonder how the fishing is here, right? Like there's, you can always distract yourself. But that said, the more we take out the distractions that are easy, let's just say it, cell phones, television, computers, all the technology, and I am not a technophobe. I'm connected to the hilt it's on my hip 94 or 24 seven. Like I'm connected, but, but I think we can all stop and take a look and go, is that really the best thing though? Right? Is that really the best thing for me? Or should I discipline myself in a way where all of that stuff goes away, even just for a time and say, no, Lord, this time is for you. I'm going to be quiet before you. I, like I said, I struggle with that at times. And even from the perspective of like, Lord, I want to spend some time with you. So let me read and go to a text, or, you know, like, like, a, like a commentary. And I'll do that, Lord, because that's how I'll spend time with you. And yet there's noise. Somebody else's voice commenting, commenting on the scriptures, right? Or, Lord, I'll spend time with you and I'll listen to a sermon. Is listening to a sermon good? Yeah, it's fine. But is it actually being quiet before the Lord? Or do I force myself, discipline myself to fast from those things, to cut those things off and say, no, Lord, I'm going to create space to just hear you and to just be in your presence. You're, that's uncomfortable. Like, and I just want to be re really honest. That is uncomfortable for a lot of us to sit quietly 
Like you ever get to that point where it's been noisy all day, things going on and everything's starting to shut down and everything stops, but you feel like the sound is still going in your head. Like, like it's quiet, but you feel somehow almost disoriented because of that. You know those experiments where they have those completely silent rooms where everything's dead, there's no vibrations, there's no echo, there's no nothing. Like the story goes, like if a person stays in a room like that too long by themselves, they'll go crazy because you can hear the sound of your heart beating, you can hear yourself breathing, and there's nothing else. Now, I've seen people do it for 45 minutes straight and they didn't go crazy, um, I think. But, um, <clears throat> but the point is, is that being alone with yourself can be its own distraction, but Jesus' example to us and the model for us to be empowered to do the things that he calls us to do as his disciples is to spend time with him quietly and alone. So that has just happened. Jesus has given his disciples these tools. And remember, from this section of the scripture on, Jesus is finding more and more opportunities to teach his disciples what they're going to need when he leaves. Because remember, he keeps telling them, I'm going to have to go and suffer and die. Like that's going to happen. They're not getting it yet, and we'll see it even happen here. They're still not understanding why Jesus is saying that. They're like, rah, rah, yay, Jesus the King is here. But he's telling them, no, I'm going to have to go away. So here's the things that you need to know to go be my disciples as you move forward. So that's what's taking, that's what's taking place here. He's training them. He's preparing them. And here's what it says in verse 30. Chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, verse 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man, that's a name for Jesus, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. Now Jesus explicitly says this to them, me, the Son of Man, which is this royal title for Jesus, right? That he truly is the King's Son, that's the phrase, Son of Man. He tells them, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of men. I'm going to be killed, but I'm also going to rise up from the dead. <clears throat> In verse 32, it says, but they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Do you wonder like, what does that mean? They didn't understand because it seems pretty obvious what he's saying. It doesn't seem like a riddle by any stretch. Now, granted, we have the value or we have the advantage of being 2000 years into history to where we know all of these things and what it looks like and what it means. But am I alone in, in thinking like, guys, it ain't that hard. He's literally telling you he's going to die and then rise up from the grave. Which, if they were good Jewish boys who had done their work and gone to school and learned the, the Old Testament and the prophecies, there's a real good chance if they knew the Psalms that they would know that God would not let his chosen one see corruption meaning the flesh would not rot, right? Because that was the prophecy that God wouldn't allow his chosen one, his anointed one, to see corruption, to be dead forever, right? That there would be a resurrection. This was known through the prophecies of the Messiah. So why are they not getting it? I don't, it, it's, it's a tough one for me oftentimes with, with the disciples to go, don't you, shouldn't you guys know better at this point? Jesus is literally telling it to you. But as it is, they didn't understand the saying. And here's the funny part. They were afraid to ask. If I could encourage you in anything in regard to our relationship with Jesus, don't be afraid to ask anything. I've said this a lot recently because I'm experiencing it for myself. There's some things I'm, I'm working through and studying through and, and trying to grow in that maybe five or ten years ago, 
I would have been really nervous about because culturally where we were in terms of our church relationships and those things and where my faith was at, I wouldn't have asked those questions out loud. I would have kept them to myself, the things that I'm growing in. But now they're things that I know Jesus can handle. That if I'm earnestly seeking the Lord and if I'm honestly wanting to grow in my relationship with him, these questions that I have, I can bring to him. And go, Jesus, I just want to know the answer because I want to know you better. That's what my heart is. So here's my hard questions. Here's the things I don't understand. Would you fill in the gaps for me? And I would recommend to anybody, if there's a part of your spiritual life or a part of any, any part of your life where you're frustrated or you're like, I don't understand why things are going this way. God, I've, I've heard that you love me. I've heard about Jesus dying on the cross for my sins, all these things. But this part of my life stinks right now. Can you, can you help me with that? There's no fear in asking those questions. God is a strong enough, big enough, most powerful God, enough to be able to handle all of our doubts, all of our fears. He can handle that stuff. And so for us to come and ask him, man, don't be like the disciples here. The disciples saying, I don't want to ask him. Maybe because I don't want to feel like the, the idiot who's supposed to know the Sunday school answer or something. Or, or I'm just scared of what he's going to say, right? But we, we need to be those who come to Jesus to ask him about everything. So, verse 33, uh, we talked about on Sunday, 33 through 37, but let's read it through one more time. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. The disciples are literally arguing with each other about, like, I wonder who's better. Well, you know, Peter, James, and John, we, uh, we got to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. We saw Moses and Elijah. The rest of you were down with, you know, arguing with the Pharisees uh, or the scribes. And, and it's like, how funny Jesus is trying to welcome them in and bring them into this preparation to do this work of bringing in God's kingdom right? Like the ultimate work anybody could ever do. And they're sitting here arguing about, I wonder who, he, who Jesus likes best. I wonder who his favorite is, right? What a funny argument. But I love this. Jesus knows what they're arguing about. And in verse 35, it says this, and he sat down and called the 12. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And this is what we saw on Sunday in a great way, is to say that that to really understand God's kingdom, you have to understand humility. Selfishness is not a part of God's kingdom. And we might know that. We might get that mentally. And we might even see that in certain practical ways. But that truth is always going to be even deeper than we think we understand. Okay, Because as humans, even when we think we're doing something nice for someone, if we really check our heart, if we really check our motives, there's some form of pride. If I do this for them, maybe they'll do something for me. There's very rarely this altruistic sense of I'm really doing this just because I want to bless someone else. Now, that's possible. And people grow in their maturity in the Lord to where they do do those things. And that's awesome. But we always have to be on guard about becoming prideful about the things that we're doing for other people and how we're serving because that's human nature. Our hearts build up with this pride, not a good kind of pride, but like this negative pride that draws us away from God's purposes. And so this is the thing to be warned about uh, is, is that God's kingdom, man, selfishness is not a quality of God's kingdom. And he says, if anybody would be first, meaning considered greatest, he must be last. And here's the thing, servant of all. That's the thing. You don't just humble yourself, but you serve. 
And everybody who's in the kingdom has some place that they can serve or someone that they can serve. And that's an important distinction for us to, to, to pinpoint. Now, verse 36, he says, And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, taking the child up in his, in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And we talked about this on Sunday in connection with some of the political things that are going on right now. And I just want to stop and just take a second and acknowledge that like Sunday was a real moment. I just want to acknowledge like I haven't responded to all the emails just because life's busy, but I got all the emails. And I just want to say like how um, insight for you guys to understand what I'm doing on a Sunday. I spend time studying. It takes me approximately eight to 10 hours to prepare for a study. I spend a lot of time in the word, commentaries, dictionaries, language. Uh, I listen to others who teach similar passages. So I, I spend a lot of time in preparation. But at the moment that I'm delivering, whether it's a Bible study or a sermon on a Sunday or whatever the case might be, there's this other element that I don't have control over. And it's quite simply the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah, saying... saying in this moment, you need to say this. And I just want to assure everybody here, like, and I say this because I've also heard these comments, all preachers do, everybody has talked about this at some point in their career as a preacher. Like, if you walk away from a Sunday or a Wednesday night thinking, who on earth told Lukian about my situation? Please understand, nobody has told me about your situation unless you've shared it with me. Like, like, if I say something that is striking you to the heart or is speaking to a specific event in your life, it's not because I'm spying on you or because I'm trying to target you with something, thinking, tonight, I really need to tell Savannah about this text here because whew, she needs it. Please believe me when I say that is not happening in any context. If it was, I would be disqualified as a preacher because then I'm using it for my own gain to exert some sort of power or authority that I don't have. But in that moment, as I'm speaking, if something confronts you or convicts you or encourages you or whatever it might be, please trust that that's the Holy Spirit of God speaking through his word and using a donkey of a man to speak out words that he wants you to hear. Okay. And the reason I say that is because, yes, Sunday was a moment I know for a lot of people. And I just want to acknowledge that and tell you that like the heartbreak of that reality that we talked about and the, the reality of abortion and, and those the sadness that goes with that. I need to reiterate, say again and again and again, that God's grace is not limited by anything that you and I do. There's no sin that you or I can commit where God looks at us and goes, that's too much. There's nothing that you or I could ever do where God would not say, if we came to him and said, God, my heart's broken, I'm I, asking for your forgiveness, I know that wasn't the right thing. If that's our heart, God will say, you're forgiven my son, you're forgiven my daughter, and you are now free to go live the life that I've called you to live. So that topic, that subject as intense and, and like so like real for so many people, understand that God's grace is available. Again, for those of us who've grown up in the church, like grace is a word that we simply just repeat because we know it, we've heard it. We have acronyms for it, God's riches at Christ's expense, these kinds of things, right? Which are all good. But I think a lot of us think still that there are certain parts of our life that God won't forgive because it's so bad. But that is not what Jesus shows us. 
That's not what scripture shows us. And so I, I just want to speak that into the room and into people's ears and hopefully into their hearts. And my hope is, is that when we're confronted with really personal stuff, you know, the emails are, are amazing from the perspective of people sharing their stories and sharing the truth of what they've experienced, but also sharing the experience of healing. And maybe not 100% healing all the way yet, but the process of healing and knowing how God ministers. And, and I'll say this, this is, again, on a Wednesday or a Sunday, I'm up here talking and I'm doing the work of studying and preparing and I hope it can be a blessing. But also understand that when real life hits and the personal stuff hits, there are people sitting in this room and there are people sitting in that room on Sundays who have a whole heck of a lot of experience in life and a whole heck of a lot of experience with the Lord and knowing how to counsel each other and pray for each other. That is an invaluable resource to us. And so for us to be honest for us to show the things that are broken and that hurt and then be able to just pour into people love and grace and mercy and encouragement. That's what the family of God does for each other. That's what the church is for internally. That's how we minister to each other internally. And then we speak truth out into the world as God's Holy Spirit draws people to himself. And so receive Jesus' healing. Know that you can be forgiven. Know that his grace, the Bible says, is sufficient. It's enough. God's grace is enough for us. There's nothing that can separate us from him when we experience his grace. So we move on from there and pick up in verse 38. Now this is an interesting story. I feel like I'm going to confession tonight. Like this is another one that's hard for me. Okay. This next few verses is a challenge for me personally, but take a look at verse 38. John said to them, <clears throat> meaning John, the, the apostle here. Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. So John, one of the disciples, is, is reporting to Jesus. Jesus, there's another guy over here. He's casting out demons. He's doing the work that you've sent us out to do. And he's using your name as an authority. Like that's how the demon is being cast out. It's not because it's in the name of whoever, it's in Jesus' name. That's where the power is. And John says, that guy's casting out demons. And we tried to stop him because he's not following us. He's not a part of our group. Jesus, where you're taking us and teaching us, this guy's not part of the group. He's off on his own and he's using your name. But look what Jesus says in verse 39. This is where, this is where when Jesus speaks, he just turns things around on us. Okay? Look what Jesus says in verse 39. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Here's why this is tough for me. Personally, again, and, and, and this isn't a brag, this isn't anything, I'm just describing to you, like, <clears throat> I spend so much time studying, I don't have any other hobbies, like, that's what I do, like, when family stuff is done, and all those kinds of things, like, I'm in my chair upstairs, and I'm listening, or I'm studying, or reading, or whatever, and a lot of that is spent listening to the nuance and the differences between a lot of different Christian voices, this denomination over here, and this tradition over here, compared to what I grew up with, and compared to what I was taught in my 20s and 30s, like there's a lot of that comparison going on 
And for someone who feels the responsibility of teaching truth, there's this sort of burden of like, I have to get it right. And if I get it right, I then have to acknowledge that other people are getting it wrong. So that when someone who I've been called to shepherd over and to watch over comes to me and says, I heard so-and-so preaching this thing on this channel or whatever. What do you think about that? My instant reaction is, don't listen to him. He's a heretic and everything he says is garbage, right? Like that's going to be my reaction because I'm like, he doesn't teach the same thing I teach and his eschatology is different than mine and all these kinds of things, right? And so this is why this is a hard teaching for me from Jesus. That if someone is preaching Jesus and him crucified, yeah, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, no one gets to God the Father except through Jesus. If that's what they're teaching, right, everything else that surrounds that teaching, right, all the, uh, how they do church, which songs they sing, what they believe about specific interactions with God or interpretations of scripture, it would appear that Jesus is saying, don't sweat it. And I'm saying, Jesus, what do you mean don't sweat it? <laughs> we got to get this right. We don't want people to be corrupted. We don't want people to follow bad teaching. And what I find is that I end up spending a lot of my time trying to distinguish who's right from who's wrong rather than sitting in those quiet moments with the Lord going, Lord, will you just calm my spirit down? Teach me what I need to be taught so that I can shepherd others in what you're showing me, right? And this is this is what the disciples are getting worked up about. There's a guy doing the same thing. He appears to be successful, but he's not on our team. Well, how is it that he's doing the thing? Now, here's the thing. We have to stop and sort of read between the lines. The disciples aren't actually concerned with whether this guy is doing the right thing or not. What they're concerned with, listen to what they say again, listen. Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. What's their real concern here? That the guy's casting out demons or that they have the right people in their group? See, the disciples aren't actually concerned about somebody being healed from a, from a demonic spirit. If they truly had the right heart at that moment, it would be Jesus. Someone spoke in your name and healed someone of a demon. How cool is that? Like that would be the right response. Their response is, we tried to stop him because he's not with us. He's not on our side. Yeah? And I think that happens for a lot of us, right? We check our mo We have to check our motives because a lot of times when we see such and such church filled up with people, with resources and money and all kinds of great things going on, we can look at them and go, how can, God, how can you allow that to happen? They're practically heretics. They have no clue what they're talking about. And yet they're preaching Jesus and him crucified. And God blesses that. And so the disciples aren't actually concerned about the healing of the person. They're, dis they're concerned with, if that guy heals a person in Jesus' name, he's going to get more popular than us. He's going to get followers for himself. So they're, they're, they're frustrated with this idea or concerned at the very least about this idea that if we let this guy keep going, Jesus, what's going to happen to our group? What if we don't have all the cool kids on our team? What if we don't have all the cool facilities and the cool things and the lights and the smoke? And the, what if everybody goes to a different church because they don't like our style? What's going to happen to us? And Jesus says it. And, and I want our hearts and our thoughts to be retrained by what Jesus says. Jesus says, don't stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Now, 
this isn't a commandment statement, and this isn't necessarily even a prophetic statement, but it's a conditional statement. And what that means is that Jesus is saying, if someone is doing this mighty work, if they're truly invoking my name and they're a part of me and able to do this great work, then they're on the right track. They're doing the right thing. And if they're seeing and, and, and experiencing my empowerment to their whatever they're doing, healing people, feeding people, saving people, then they're not going to turn around and curse my name. Don't worry. I'm going to be okay, is what Jesus tells the disciples. You don't have to protect my name. My name can protect itself, right? And and he says, again, in verse 40, for the one who's not against us is for us. I find that to be, again, the challenging statement, but the one that I have to grow in and have, in my best efforts, have grown in to be able to sit in a room with other guys from different traditions, different interpretations of certain parts of scripture. But because we hold Jesus in common, truly the Jesus of scripture, crucified and resurrected, because we hold Jesus in common, we could sit together and just say, yeah, we're on the same team. And we can pray for each other. We can love each other. We can have fellowship with one another, knowing that we're not opposed to one another. And I hope that's a quality that we uh, build, that, that we just want to, you know, it was said of Jesus that, that he did all things well and that, and that we're supposed to approve things that are excellent, right? Man, when we see a church or, or an expression of faith that's just doing well, that they're doing amazing things, man, no need to be jealous of that. No need to nitpick and go, yeah, fine, they're doing all these great things, but look at what they're doing over here, right? Ah, there shouldn't be any of that. It should just be praise God, glory to Jesus Christ, that there is good work being done for the kingdom, right? And so double-checking the disciples' motives here and making sure that they're, they're thinking right and all these kinds of things, um, Jesus clarifies that the value of the kingdom for the disciples should be work done for the kingdom, no matter who's doing it, no matter who gets the recognition. Now, Take a look at what he says in verse 41 as he finishes out this thought. He says, For truly I say to you, whoever gives you, a, for, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. There's this concept and this idea that we as Christians oftentimes in our tradition have not paid enough attention to. And it's this, that good works matter. Our behavior matters. The service that we render to people who are in need matters. In fact, it's recognized by God and it's recorded for us in heaven, right? That's an important fact part of our faith that I think a lot of times, I know I grew up in an environment where it was all about denying works because there was a fear that if we thought that our good works were valuable, that somehow we would equate that with our salvation, that our salvation comes from our good works. No, 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 no. Salvation comes from faith alone in Christ alone, right? By God's grace alone. Yes, that's true. But why did he save us? For good works is what scripture says. And James would tell us that if we have faith that does not include works, that faith is dead and has no value to us. Good works are important. How we treat other people is important. How we serve other people is important, right? How we talk, how we act, what we watch, what we think. These things are important within the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, and this echoes the scene in Matthew chapter 25, which is the day of judgment, where we've we've read this recently, where there's the difference between the sheep and the goats, 
right? The sheep being the people that were of God's flock who are saved and a part of the kingdom and the goats being the gnarly ones over here who have rejected Christ, right? Who are going to go to eternal damnation. And Jesus says, come, those of you who have given a cup of water in my name or taken care of a person who is naked or hungry and the, and the sheep, the people will say, when did we do any of those things? And he says, anything you've done to the least of these, to the least person, to the person that you didn't even really think twice about to give a buck in his cup on the side of the road, or the person that forgot their wallet at the grocery store and said, oh, let me cover that. You know, I'll take care of it. Whatever the case might be, anything that you've done to the least of these people, Jesus says, you've done it unto me. I recognized it. I took note of it. And it is to your credit and benefit and merit as you enter into heaven. We've talked about this before, and there's a study that can be done on this in regard to crowns in scripture and the awarding of crowns to people for different accomplishments, if you will, within the kingdom of God. The crown of glory, right? Uh, the the crown, of, crown of salvation. All these other crowns that, that are present in Scripture, we see them in the book of Revelation as well. All of these things that we do in life, here's how they're going to echo in eternity. We're going to take all of the good works that are accumulated for us, that God rewards in the image of a crown, and we're going to take everything that we have and we're going to lay it down at Jesus' feet for eternity and worship him with it. That is what's going to happen. That's important for us to latch on to and to recognize. And he says, For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. This guy who's casting out demons in my name, who's successfully ministering to someone, he's not going to lose his reward. He's doing the right thing, guys. And if you do the right thing, you'll earn your reward as well. It's important for us to understand, really important for us to, to sort of reconcile to whatever challenge we might have in our faith with that idea of focusing on good works. Focus first on salvation. Focus first on your faith in Jesus. Focus on what God does in your heart as you surrender yourself to him, how he changes your heart. Focus on how you listen to Jesus' words and how it just shifts the way that you think in the world. Focus on those things first. Be solid in the things of the Lord in regard to your salvation. And then go work your tail off serving people. Go work your tail off in good works. Find ways to be a blessing. Find ways to just pump up Jesus. Find ways to just pull people out of bad situations. Lose all your money and all your possessions for the sake of saving someone. Whatever the case might be, give until it hurts. Bleed for people. Paul would say... I'm being poured out like a drink offering for you. This is how I want my life to look at the end. I want to be empty of everything. We live in a culture that is not any different from what it was in the Mediterranean world at this time, in the ancient world. All the pharaohs of Egypt, what happens? They're still uncovering anterooms to their death chambers that are filled up with treasures and stuff, thinking they're going to take them into the next life. You don't take anything with you. It all stays here. And even if the idea of an inheritance or leaving something for your children is a noble idea, I think Paul and Jesus would say, pour that stuff out, man. Pour it out. Give it away so that the kingdom can expand, so that people can be blessed. And I pray that that would be our heart. I pray that we would see this in what Jesus is saying and not ever fall into this competition of like, man, we want to be the church that everybody wants to be a part of or, or we're going to rebuke those people that we disagree with, that kind of a thing but rather just see Jesus in it all. Now, for anybody who hears that and is like, mm, Luke, y'all maybe you should be a little bit careful about that. 
I'm not talking about compromising on good theology. I'm not talking about compromising and, and allowing there to be teaching that is in opposition to Scripture. By no means. We have discernment and wisdom in those things. That's why we study to hear God's word and let it penetrate our hearts in truth. But in regard to those who are following Jesus and claiming to love Jesus and doing the work of Jesus, man, love them, pray for them, support them, encourage them, be okay with them. I think this is what how Jesus twists and, and upends the disciples' view of things in the world that perhaps is effective for you and I as well.